This is Company the Podcast. I'm Sky Manson. Company is a podcast bringing together ambitious women in the bush, the cities, and all over the world. I was unaware of the work of today's guest until only a week or two ago. Mia Campbell is a total go-getter and you'll know what I mean when you hear her story. Last year, tarnished by the drought, her husband and young family made the tough decision to leave the community of Burren Junction in far western New South Wales and relocate to Dubbo. As if a big move with your family isn't enough, but pretty much as soon as they'd arrived in their new home of Dubbo, Mia, who's a qualified lawyer and a legal writer, began her next hugely successful venture, The Letterbox Project, a social enterprise connecting lonely and isolated people via letters. This project has 13,000 people signed up and an average of about 550 letters sent each week. It blows my mind and I hope that you're equally as enthralled to meet Mia. So here she is. The idea happened the day before it actually kicked off. I seem to do things quite quickly once I think of them. Um, And it all began in March of this year. Um, The idea was just to connect people. Uh, So Connected AU is a social enterprise reducing isolation and loneliness in vulnerable populations. So the idea is just to connect people who are disconnected or at risk of disconnection. So um, particularly senior Australians, people with disabilities, people with chronic health conditions, um, and and it's grown since March, so only a short time. Oh, that's amazing. So you had the idea and you started it the next day. (laughs) Yes. Yes, that that's that's exactly what I did. I um I just I at the very beginning of this year we, as you know, we had droughts and bushfires and then COVID hit, um and I actually th- kept thinking of my grandfather. He was the inspiration behind Connected AU. He passed away a number of years ago, but I couldn't get him out of my head um, during all of that at the start of the year. He and, and just thinking how dreadfully it would have impacted him. He lived alone, he was really independent, but he was also blind and deaf. Um, He couldn't speak on the phone very well. So he relied on um, our family every day for connection and for support. And I just kept thinking how isolated he would have been had he been alive. Uh, And I realised there would be so many other people in that situation across the country. So um, that night, late that night, one night, I started Googling and, and researching and I found some just some really staggering statistics around loneliness and isolation uh, and I realised that it was a pre-existing, ongoing community issue. So I thought of what I could do to 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 change that and, and I created Connected AU. So how does it actually work like mm. you you say you connect people but how do you connect people yes um so connected i use the platform and there's three programs um i thought of the three programs that would most benefit people that were disconnected um two of them aren't as popular one of them is called the letterbox project and that's that's what's grown this year rapidly uh and it's it's a pretty simple concept but it's really impactful so the Letterbox Project sends handwritten letters to people that are isolated and lonely. 
um, it facilitates the wider community. So it gets people on board in the community to write letters to these people. Um, the, within the first week, there was, I think, over 500 people registered to write letters and, and it just grew from there. So how did people learn about the Letterbox project? <laughs> yeah, well, I, I made a website. I did get someone to help me clean it up later, but I made the website and the social media um, and the social media profiles and I just That day? Started, yeah, yeah, that day. I made the website and the social media platforms um, all in the one day. And uh, I do do things very quickly when I am focused. Um, And then I just started posting and um, following other accounts, I guess, that was similar. Um, And I guess the research I'd been doing sort of led me to certain certain profiles to follow. Um, And I think what's been so beneficial for this is when people participate, they then share it. So it's this organic growth that we've seen happen. So perhaps the first people who saw it, the 10 people might have written letters and then they told their family uh, and friends and then they came and found us and it, it's it's grown that way. Um, the growth has just been absolutely phenomenal. Where do you see most of your growth? Which platform? Instagram, I think. Instagram is the social media platform that's been the most popular, but I think um, – I think within hubs in community, so I think it's actually grown offline. I think within, as I said, friendship groups and families, but also within schools it's grown, like different teachers are recommending it to other teachers. Uh, and I think the, the corporates and the organisations that are participating, they're, they're recommending it to themselves, to each other. So it's sort of grown in little pockets in the community. So can you explain to me just in detail how it actually works? Does someone sign up and then, yeah, (laughs) that'd be great. So so it is fairly complex. We don't just um, match two pen pals and you write to each other. So we have a system on the website and people can sign up to write letters um, and then people can sign up to receive letters. Often it's nursing homes or disability homes signing people up. Um, then what happens is everything has to go through our system. So for safety and security of everyone, we don't share any identifiable information, personal information, and all letters have to be vetted. Um, As you can imagine, we don't want anything being sent to vulnerable, vulnerable people. So what happens is someone registers to write a letter they get given someone's first name um, and some interests and hobbies about that person. So if you signed up today, you would get an email with, for instance, it would be Jack, 97, um, lives in Victoria and, and loves restoring old cars or, or something like that. So so you can have an idea of who you're writing to, but you don't actually know who you're writing to. Um, once the letter is written, it gets sent to our team um, who reads it, makes sure it's appropriate content, and then we send it on. Um, and then the recipient can respond, but again, it's done back via our team. So they write the response back to us and we send it on. So that system, uh, originally it was fairly basic, the system I had set up because I only thought there was going to be 10 or 20 letters each week. Um, mm-hmm. as, as it's grown, I've had to do a, we've had to do a huge amount of work in terms of workflows and IT systems and, and getting all those processes right um, and people to help help with the logistics of doing all that work. How many people are on board now? So at the moment, there's over 13,000 people registered to write letters um, and a lot of them have registered to continue writing. Um, So so they want to be allocated someone new every month or six months. 
Um, we're averaging about 600 letters being sent each week into nursing homes and disability homes and, and in the community. That averages out to about 30,000 letters in the next 12 months, which is pretty huge, um, but that will keep growing as, as the um, capacity for letters keeps growing. There are, there are over 270 schools participating so far and we've got a waiting list for schools and there's um, a lot of um, national corporations that are now getting getting involved and using it as their staff impact or, or giving projects. So that's been exciting, that development of, um, of, of organisations and corporates getting on board. Tell me more about that. Who Who is on board? And also, can you talk a little bit about what you spoke about there about giving projects and staff, staff projects? Yes, absolutely. I really wasn't familiar with the, those, the internal workings and that sort of volunteer working um, of organisations. Uh, so, so far who we've, we've had involved, um, I'll just think of some, we had Twitter, AU actually, they were recently involved, Expedia and Discovery, they've both used it for their projects. I think uh, in the next few weeks we've got Deloitte taking part, Medibank, uh, Salesforce. Uh, today I actually saw some emails come in. I think we've got the Black Dog Institute and Headspace. They've sent some emails through about getting getting involved. So so that list of um that list of organisations is growing quite quickly, and that that has been um been entirely organic. Uh, we haven't gone out and tried to try to reach out to any of these places. They've just they've just contacted us, which has been really humbling. It sounds like, I mean, what's your reaction to this huge growth? It just sounds so wonderful and unexpected. Yeah, yes, it's been um, it's it's been a very surprising year. Um, absolutely unexpected. Mm-hmm. It's been phenomenal growth. It's been it's been really exciting at times. It's been really stressful and, and daunting. So it's been a huge range of emotions this this year. Um, but it's it's just been wonderful. And I think especially these organisations getting involved. Um, that's really just validated the idea, I think, and it's really um, just added another level to it. Uh, we've got a, an exhibition coming up at Old Parliament House Museum in Canberra, so they're going to create an exhibit where visitors can go to the museum and learn about the issues of isolation and loneliness and then they can use their antique typewriters to write letters to some of our people, which I just absolutely love. Oh, that my idea. goodness. I know. They, Same. Um, they they called us and and had that idea so which I absolutely loved um and I've I've got plans to recreate that next year so in other iconic buildings perhaps in major cities around the country so in Sydney we'd find somewhere and and uh, and recreate that so I love that that's one of my favorite projects that we're working on um but it is very common I've found out for these organizations to have internal volunteering and, and impact programs um, which has been a really lovely thing to discover. Uh, a lot of these organisations have a, a really big focus on community and on impact. They most of them have it have a scheduled day every year where they have their entire organisation do something for the community. So, and and this year, there a lot of them are using our project. Um, that 
that exhibition with the typewriters is so good. It that I I actually that's inspired me. And my childhood home at Bookham, there is an old typewriter that um, kind of sits in my bedroom. I've sort of claimed it. Um, and and I've always thought, oh, one day I'll get it fixed up and maybe use it again. And nothing's happened with it, of course. It's just gathering dust. But um, how cool is that? I'm going to try yeah, and get it. it. <laughs> what do you think it is about letters? Um, I think I think that they're tangible. Um, I think they keep giving. Uh, they're different to a phone call or an email, and especially for that older generation. Some of the feedback we've had has just been lovely from nursing homes where they've told us that residents are rereading their letters for days afterwards and showing the other residents their letters and pictures and things. So I think because they're tangible. And I also think um, that they're capturing all these people who aren't able to to jump on this wave we've all experienced of, of technology and being able to connect online. Um, there are 2.5 million Australians that aren't connected to the internet. So there's a lot of people who, who just can't access or have capacity to use technology and letters are, are really the only safe and, and effective way of reaching them. Mm. So, yeah, absolutely. Oh, I also, um, this is so up my alley. I, um, <laughs> a couple of years ago, tried to start an, my own social media um, writing project. It was oh, called no. the Pen Pal Project. And oh, gosh. <laughs> um, I put it out there for people who might be interested and I had so many people, yeah. but I, um, it's never seen the light of day. Okay. But this yeah. is, you know, in a similar way. So <laughs> yeah. did, did you have any strategy when you started as to how you <laughs> would grow the project? Do you have a strategy now? Yeah, so there was a strategy at the beginning and there is one now, very different, <laughs> very different from each other. Um, I'm not sure how far you got into your pen pal um, planning. Uh, but not, there, not far at <laughs> not all. Not very far. There is a lot to it, logistics, legals. Um, so the strategy at the beginning of creating Connected AU was very different. I, As I said, I thought it would be slow growth. I thought that there might be 10 or 20 letters being sent each week um, and that that would be steady. And that our other programs that we've got, um, one of which are virtual hobby groups, so there's a virtual book club and a virtual gardening group and virtual social clubs. There's these virtual hobby groups that these these isolated people can join for connection and, and just for some engagement. And so the idea was that these other programs and their these other programs and their um their membership, so there would be a membership fee on those, they would grow and that would be our focus um, and they would generate revenue and make it sustainable and, and always have the letterbox project as a free project but that was the direction um, very quickly within the first few weeks um, the letterbox project obviously grew that was the rapid growth and the focus and all the popularity uh, and so I had to really quickly figure out what we were going to do so um, I decided that um, it, I decided that we just needed to run with it. I thought that the, you just can't buy that sort of publicity that we were getting. Um, so the strategy flipped and the focus was on the Letterbox project, keeping up with its growth and development. I, th I thought it was really important to just take the opportunities that we were being given from the media and the connections that we were making and these organisations and people getting involved. Um, some of those big names are, are huge and really valuable. So I thought if we could just keep up 
focus on that, use that momentum to grow it into a national name um, that I'd then be able to utilise the platform that we'd created to really go back and develop the other programs and, and the revenue and the foundations of it. So the strategy title totally flipped um, and that's where we are now. We're, we're back at the beginning now. So we've done really well this um, this year. There's been a huge amount of work um, and what we've been doing over the last month and over the next few months going forward um, is we've been focusing on on that strategy and those foundations and um, and going back and, and really planning and building those really strong foundations. So that's what we've been doing now. How many people are working for you on this project? I've got I've got one paid person, um, and then a lot of volunteers. I think we're at forty seven volunteers um, at the moment, and the person I'm paying to to help is um, is actually managing the volunteers because actually managing volunteers is fabulous, but it's also a lot of work in in itself. So there's a lot of people involved in it. Um, the strategy going forward and what we've been really working hard on is ensuring that we have really good foundations and that it'll be sustainable moving forward so that this is a long-term support system. Um, but to do that, obviously, we need to be able to sustain the project um, and I don't want to just rely on volunteers forever. Um, and so what we want to do is we've got goals to have more staff and have an office space. Um, and also, though, we're really hoping to try and keep these programs free so try and keep everything free for people to use not have any membership fee on anything that we're doing that's been a really big focus for us and that's what we're really working with some partners to try and keep everything free but also sustainable and and grow grow the organization how's your background um (laughs) as a lawyer helped with the, um, the setup of this, it sounds like it has tremendously. As, oh, actually, not as much as I thought it would. It helped with setting it up. I set up the company and I did the did our legals and all those things, and that was really helpful. But um, it hasn't helped actually very much. It's a with, with a social enterprise. This is not at all my background, um, and I've never done anything like this before. So, um, so it's been a huge learning curve for me, even just setting up all the workflows and systems I've had. To, I did that originally myself, but I've had to engage people to do it properly um, once once we saw that growth. Um, I've had to have specialists on board to to advise on strategy and revenue and um, and even partnerships and, and, um, and linking in and trying to source funding and, and backing. Um, so, no, my experience actually is very limited in terms of what I'm doing at the moment. Do, do you make any money from it? So no, so not yet. Um, it's um, it's it's managed to sustain itself, which is quite a feat um, because there's there's actually a lot a lot behind it. Um, so no, there's no no money for me yet. Um, I actually work for myself from home doing writing work, um, legal writing and learning and development writing. That's my job. So I've been having to do both to juggle both uh but there is a lot of potential for connected au um hopefully over the next few months we can um secure some some partnerships that we've been working on which would then allow us to get staff 
um, I'd obviously have have um, have some income out of it, get some office office space. So there's a lot of potential. Um, it's just happened back the front to most businesses, I think, where um, I've just had to run with something and put a bit of faith that this will work, um, and and work very hard for nothing, um, hoping that it'll get get somewhere. Um, and I still believe it, it will. So amazing. So what's the breakdown of your writing, your legal writing work and how much time you spend on Connected AU? Well, yes. So it's predominantly spent on Connected AU, my time, mm-hmm. um, but I, I still spend a lot of time um, doing my writing work, um, mostly at night. Um, mm-hmm. I, I During the day, um, I've, most days I've got my little toddler here, so I try and do the connected AU work, which is a lot of phone calls and emails and things like that. And usually, once everyone's gone to bed at night, I start my start my work, my writing work. So late into the night. Oh my goodness! <laughs> which is very. Do you sleep? Work. Do you need much sleep? Oh, I do need a lot of sleep, but I haven't been getting. Uh, I haven't been getting a lot. This year's just been a blur, and I've I've absolutely overcommitted. But um, but I think it'll I think it'll pay off, and I. You know, I, I started something and I sort of have just been able to keep up with it. There's absolutely been some times where I've just thought, oh, my gosh, I can't do this, but only a few. <laughs> this segues nicely into my favourite question, which is about routines and yeah. um, daily routines and the times that people get up in the morning and the first yeah. thing that they do. Can you run me through yours? Yes. Well, um, my toddler generally dictates when I wake up, um, usually between 5.30 or 6 in the morning. And my morning's filled with just general needs of the girls, so getting them ready for the day, breakfast. I don't have anything I specifically do straight away. I try and have a coffee, um, but often I don't get one. Um, So the morning's filled with the girls. And then after school drop-off, I try and do some exercise straight away, either just jump on the treadmill or go for a walk if I've got a little bit more time. Um, exercise does one absolute wonders for me it just gives me such a positive outlook and and energy so that's really helpful if I can find time to do that and then the rest of the day I try and juggle um, yeah being at home with my toddler and giving her giving her enough engagement and getting outside with her but also managing connected AU and getting work done and phone calls and then school pickups at three and I try not to do any work then I try and just focus on the girls and getting them outside or to tennis or whatever um, routine we've got for that afternoon. Uh, And then it's just probably what all other mums do. It's just uh, dinner, bath, bedtime. And then, yeah, usually at about 8.30, 9 o'clock I can start to work, start to do real work. Until when? Oh, it varies. Sometimes I get tired or sometimes it gets to about midnight and I think you know what this isn't my best work so I Mm. have to pack it up but sometimes it's been very late nights if I've if I've got deadlines and clients are waiting on waiting on things do you love working at that time no no I don't I um no I definitely don't I'm not a not a night owl I um but it's just what I have to do at the moment I guess Um, my toddler does go to daycare two days a week on Thursdays and Fridays, um, 
but I guess that's filled with all my important connected AU meetings and um, things where I really need to have focus. A lot of the corporates and a lot of the work we're doing at the moment is really important, so I schedule it for those days. I love your honesty. It's, you know, well, it's yeah. it's like so, um, it, it's so indicative of like many, many women yeah, um, all, all over the place that, no, I don't like working at night time, but it's just what I need to do in this period of time. Well, that's right. I think there's just no other way. And, um, and yeah, and I think all mothers are in the same situation. You've got a, you've got a priority list um, and then you just have to get to get things done when you can get things done. And, um, I mean, work's priority for me, but obviously the girls are the bigger priority and, um, yeah, and the house and I try and fit cleaning in and do all the things that every other woman does. Um, and so I, I guess the most effective time at the moment for me to work is late at night when no one's, when no one else is around. <laughs> Hopefully it's not going to be forever. But. Yeah. What, when you get to steal a bit of time for yourself, what do you like to do to relax and unwind or give yourself a bit of I don't know self-care yes that's a good question um I feel like this year I just haven't had a lot of time for that um so I haven't actually done a lot of anything really this year but I guess I love just getting outside um that's my relaxation anything outdoors so going for a walk or we go to the zoo a lot take the girls to the park or the river. I just like being outside. So whenever I get free time, that's that's what we do. We head outside. And I also love to ask about like family rituals and you're, you sound like you're, you know, knee deep in the, in, the, in the family routine side of things. Do you have any nice ones that you'd like to share? Yeah, my um, 10-year-old daughter and I have a nice, I guess it's become a ritual. Um, every night, usually only school nights, uh, we FaceTime my dad, so her grandfather. He lives on the north coast, um, and they read. They read together. So um, it was. It started with the Hobbit. So they've read the Hobbit, and now they're onto the Lord of the Rings, um, which is a really tough book. So they share the reading out loud, um, and it's just really nice. It's just half an hour every night after I put my toddler Georgie to bed. Yeah, we just sit and FaceTime and they do reading together, which which is so nice. Um, and that was also something else I thought about when creating Connected AU, um, that there'd be a lot of people who don't have that, who don't have family doing that sort of stuff with them. So, um, yeah, so that was a bit of inspiration as well. Oh, that's so beautiful. I love that. Harnessing technology for good. Yes. And you sound like you fit a lot into your days and that your days are very long <laughs> in a productivity sense what's been helpful for you well I unfortunately don't have any great productivity tips or hacks I actually feel like I'm lacking in that in time efficiency skills I feel like there are probably easier ways to do things than what I do um so I yeah I don't actually think I have any great tax great um tips Something something I do a lot, but it probably isn't healthy or recommended, is um, is I always write notes. So whenever I think of something, um, I try and write it down straight away in the notes section on my phone. Unfortunately, that usually happens at night when I'm laying in bed. I think of things. I start thinking about a great piece of writing or an idea like this project. Um, and so I grab my phone and I write it down. 
um, word for word, especially if it's a right piece of writing. Um, otherwise, I forget it and it'll be lost. So that's something I do, but I don't think that's actually recommended to be getting on your phone late at night. Was was Connected AU a late night um, yeah. light bulb? It, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, my husband was away and I thought of it in the middle of the night and did some research. Um, I had actually done a little bit of research over the over the previous What, what time weeks. was it? Oh, I think it was maybe 11 or 12 or something like that in the middle of the night. Um, and I thought of the solution. I thought I'm going to create a website and different programs to, to help people. Um, and then, yeah, it literally got up the next day, took the, you know, the girls went to school and daycare and I made the website, registered, got the ABN, did everything, did the website, the platforms. And yeah, by that night it was done, albeit it was quite um, poor, like it was very rushed and I worked on it a lot after that, but it was, yeah, it was that, that day from a thought that night. Progress rather than <laughs> perfection, you that's know, right. it's, that's excellent. The, the, and the idea is seeing the light of day. Mm. Um, tell me, I'm interested to th- rewind a little bit. Mm. Um, like where does all this desire and um, drive and uh, hard work mm. ethic come from, um, do you think? Yeah, um, hard for you to answer that question. No, I don't. I think I think half of it is just my nature. I am, I guess, impulsive, which has done well for me in my life, but also probably not well at some points. Um, I do. I think of something and I I get very focused and I run with it and I just don't stop. Um, so that's. I mean, I guess that's a good thing to possess. Uh, so I think that's been a little bit. Little bit of it, but I also think, um, I also think it's where I grew up. I think, um, I think everyone's childhood really influences and sets them up for life. So I think certainly my childhood and, um, and where I grew up really influenced me. Where did you grow up? I grew up in a small country town called Dunedoo in central west New South Wales, so not far from Dubbo. Um, on a farm in primary school and then we moved into town in secondary school. I went to the central school there for my whole schooling. Um, looking back, I can see that it was one of those really um, blessed childhoods, I guess, just filled with good people, the outdoors, and animals, and sport, just all the good, healthy things for children. Um, mm. So it's a wonderful town. So, Mia, it sounds to me like you really loved where you where you grew up and that small country town experience. Is that right? Yes, yes, absolutely. I um I think I think where I grew up in Dunedoo and the type of childhood I had has played one of the biggest influences on me in my life. Um, particularly the people. I think the people I had around me um, have all really impacted me. I had some really close friends, but also teachers, other people's parents and community leaders, um, just generally surrounded by really good people growing up that still influence me today. Um, Particularly over the last two years, actually, I would say I've found my childhood and that town to be an even greater influence on me, even though more time has passed. Uh, I think as I've gotten older, and I think this happens to a lot of us, you can really appreciate the opportunities that you were given growing up. Um, there were a lot of people that really invested invested in me, time and support, and that believed in me. Uh, and I 
known, I can see now how lucky I was to have that support and people backing me. Um, hindsight's obviously bittersweet and I probably didn't appreciate it enough at the time. But I, yeah, I can see it now and I use it as motivation um, and direction. I think Johnny Do is like all small country towns and I think they've just got the best kinds of people and collectively the town instills such an identity in children um, and resilience and confidence. There've been so many successful and quality people come out of that tiny little town. Um, and when I was at school, I genuinely thought that I could change the world. I had so much trust um, in my capabilities and potential and I just didn't doubt anything. Um, and that all comes from the town, I think, and the community and what it instills in you. Um, and I noticed that I did lose that a little while after I left. Um, I think women tend to do this in general, the messaging of the world for women. Um, there's subliminal messages about glass ceilings and gender bias and inferiority and not being too loud. Um, and I think that happens when women have children as well. You lose a bit of yourself and the confidence. Um, but thankfully, that's come back and I, I feel really confident in myself again now. Um, yeah, and I think that all really does come from from my background. That's I love what what you're saying there, and it's that's such a beautiful ode to your small country town, and it mm. sort of resonates with me too. Like I've always said, the support that you get from your community when you're growing up provides this amazing safe net that not everybody is lucky enough to have that you can, can go and do anything and if you fail then you still can go okay. home and also people are interested and um, mm. there's something there for you but it allows you to yeah. go forth and usually you, you don't fail. And, um, That's right. Yeah. And I think, um, I think having people believe in you and even have an interest in you, that yeah. really um, just gives you that leg up in life. I've, I've since worked um, for juvenile justice and so I worked with a lot of young um, boys predominantly um, uh, and predominantly Indigenous. And so I've really seen what it's like when you don't have that support and that community and people helping you. And, um, and so that actually that experience working there made me really realise how lucky I was to have, just to have people care and not just your own family, but other people's families and the wider community. And I think that is the unique thing about small country towns is that it is such a community experience. Whereas when you get bigger, um, even Dubbo, for instance, you, you don't know everyone and not everyone is as invested in you. And um, yeah, and so I, I was really lucky to have that, have that childhood. And you have recently moved from Walgett so how did you end up there? Yeah, I married someone from Walgett um, and we lived on a property between Walgett and Burren Junction actually, um, which was wonderful. Um, it was just a really challenging time um, for so many years for everyone out there. The drought was just relentless. Um, so living out there was probably, uh, I think I've said before, the best of times but the worst of times as well. Um, I found the isolation crippling. Um, Scotty would go have to go further away for work um, as it went on and I found that really hard. I had a new baby and um, it was just really, really isolating. 
which was really bittersweet, I found, in the end, because some of the people I've met out there were just some of the best people um, that I've met and I made just such quick friendships with some of the women out there. Um, and so that was really hard. It was really hard to leave. I was quite devastated to leave. Um, one of them in particular was my closest friend, Janine. She um, she lived about 10 k's down the road and she was just fantastic and I just I feel like she was one of those people where you thrive in their company. Um, mm. She was just intelligent and driven, a great mother and just full of life um, but also really personable and just down to earth and, um, you know, I found it really hard leaving the people that we had out there. Um, the community was just really close-knit and supportive um, but but eventually it just was too challenging out there, the pressure and the drought and exhaustion, so we we made the we made the decision to leave. Um, I find it so interesting that the isolation was crippling when you did grow up on a farm and in a rural community where yes yeah what was the difference? Um, I think it's it's I guess a little more remote out there um, than what I was used to, and I think it was just a really tough time. Um, for everyone and so we obviously were experiencing a difficult time because of the drought personally but also but everyone was and so I guess that changes the dynamics of the community everyone was under so much pressure and um, yeah the community I guess wasn't thriving and and socially things had changed Uh, and I was often told that that you know just wait like once things pick up the everything changes um, so I feel like it was just a really hard time for everyone out there and um, and also myself. I think I had a new baby and I, my family lived quite far away and, um, and Scotty worked away. So I think that's, that you know, it all culminated into me finding it really difficult out there. Um, whereas growing up, Dunedoo, it's a small country town, but it's, it's not as remote um, and, yeah, I guess there just weren't those challenges. I mean, I think my parents... There was a drought when we were on the property at Dunedoo, but um, I was a child, so I really didn't know too much about it. Um, yeah, so, I mean, they are. They're quite similar experiences, but one of them is just more challenging than the other. Um, and how how does it sit with you now that there's been a great season and <laughs> that the drought has broken yeah. to a certain extent? Yeah, it was... Um, it's just one of those things. I think for Scotty, I think it was difficult. We moved and then, um, yeah, we made the decision at the end of 2019 and then it rained um, early on at the start of the year. So I think that was um, kind of hard for him. But you, you just can't pick these sorts of things. And um, and thankfully everyone is having a good season out there. He's out there now for harvest and he's been out there a lot for the year. So it's still been a really positive, really positive and a positive move for us coming back here as well. I've, um, I, I don't think I would have been able to do connected AU and do what I've done um, had we not come come to Dubbo. Yeah, no, it, it absolutely makes makes more sense for us. Well, here's to hoping that 2021 is a much better year for everybody. Yeah. Uh, what's on the cards for you? Um, there's a lot. There's a lot. There's a lot coming up I think I've got some um got some big plans 
for Connected AU, which I touched on earlier. Um, and hopefully if we can if we can really pull it together over the next few months, um, next year we'll have, yeah, as I said, we'll have an office space and some staff to help and just so my focus will just be on growing Connected AU, um, growing it to become our national organisation, I guess, and, and keep growing and keep keep that momentum up. Um, I'm not sure about my writing, whether I'll be able to keep doing at all um so that's I probably won't be able to do everything so that's um that's a bit of an unknown what will happen what will happen with that uh but I hope for next year that we can have a I guess and everyone can just have a little bit more normality and the world goes back to normal and just becomes a bit calmer again whilst being able to appreciate everything we that's happened this year and all the lessons we've learned Absolutely. Well, Mia, it's been so fascinating to learn more about what you're doing. Um, Thank you. I just love it and I, I hope it continues its strong upward trajectory. That's, um, yeah, congratulations so far and thanks for taking the time to be interviewed for my podcast. That's okay. Thank you for, um, thanks for inviting me on. I- so genuinely interested and surprised by Mia's story and I totally admire her ability to have an idea and action it straight away. I have many ideas. They never see the light of day. (laughs) So perhaps I need a bit more Mia in my life. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Company. If you love the podcast, I'd love it if you could share it with someone who may not know about it and get them to subscribe in Apple Podcasts or wherever they find their podcasts. I'll be back with another story for you soon. Mm-hmm.